Oh wow! See, that's the thing. I've just I've completely blocked that out. That's so wild. In my head, the the line is your mother just your mother dines in hell. Dining TV version with Leonidas. She's eating with Leonidas. Oh, that's so funny. Horror Movie Survival Guide is a weekly podcast where I, Gorehound Julia Marchesi, delves into my horror movie notebook to corrupt another one of my longtime chums, Terry Gamble, who is hiding in the creepy horror closet. My mission is to learn the gospel of horror movie survival and to incorporate Julia's wealth of wisdom to become a final girl disciple. Join us as we take a deep dive into everything from OG horror to newly released films, but preferably classics on VHS. We'll talk about obscure details that no one else notices. Spin off into alternate casting universes, crush on some dodgy, foxy fellows, and creepy uncles, and arm ourselves with the knowledge necessary to become the the final girl. Hey guys, excellent. Welcome to Horror Movie Survival Guide, Julia. It's early in the morning because we're talking to friends from all across the world today. I am so excited. We are friends with international people. Hi. Yes, we have international <laughs> friends. Today on Horror Movie Survival Guide, we've been, as you know, this month, we've been um, talking with all of our dear podcaster friends. And we're rounding out the month with some of my favorites. I've guested on their show um, a couple of wonderful times. Um, and it's, I just, oh my God, sorry. I'm like, I'm tongue-tied because I think they're so cute and I just love them so much. Do it. And you guys are going to fall in love with their voices so quickly <laughs> and I cannot wait. It's the Three Black Halflings, Julia. Woohoo! They are a group of nerdy friends uh, with strong opinions and even stronger charisma scores. Um, join them on their quest to explore diversity in the incredible worlds of D&D and pop culture while doling out DM tips. That's Dungeon Master tips for those of you who are not uh, hip to that yet. Mm-hmm. Um, with thought-provoking conversations and a band of wonderful guests, sometimes me, um, and good times. Um, the hosts we have today from the show are Jeremy Cobb and Jasper William Cartwright. Um, Jeremy Cobb is the co-host and resident DM for Three Black Halflings, where he DM'd the hit series Outlaws and Obelisks, Damn. set in a homebrew world that he created. Um, his name is Jeremy Cobb, but many people call him many other things. If you want to hear some of those things, you have to listen to the show because it's audience suggestions every week. And I've definitely given one and it's super fun um, to hear what people will come up with. He's also a professional DM and TTRPG player whose credits includes Wizards of the Coast, um, D&D in a Castle. Like, can you tell Ooh. me more about that later? Mm. Um, and so much more. Um, and we have Jasper William Cartwright, who is an amazing actor who um, has, has studied at the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama, where oh, some yeah. of your favorite uh, stars uh, have attended. <laughs> um, he made his professional theater debut in the National Theater's touring production of War Horse, playing Billy Narricot. Um, and next, Jasper played the role of Michael Birdie in the adaptation of Michael, I'm going to torture this name now, more Purgo's novel, mm-hmm. um, The Butterfly Line at the Barn Theater. Um, Which had Jeremy in it as well. It's true. Oh my God. See, there Jeremy you are. There you Superstars go. all around. <laughs> um, and he's done so much more. He's one of the um, co-founders of a film company, 94 Film, and works as a writer, director, producer. And I cannot be more excited to have you both on the show. Welcome, Jasper and Jeremy, to Horror Movie Survival Guide. Hey. Oh, thank you for having hey. us. This is exciting. Hey. Thank it you is, so much. Next is, is like doing your homework as well. That was like kind of yeah. wild. I was like, oh, oh, damn. Oh, okay. Make you sound good. Credits. 
I got we credits. do research here at the Horror Movie Survival Guide. I don't know oh, if you yeah. know, but we take copious notes um, on everything. That and it's do. also kind of always nice when you hear somebody else list off all your accomplishments and you're like, yeah. oh yeah, I did do that thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I was like, okay, I'm doing bits out here. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I've never felt more impressive than when you described what I had done. And I was like, oh, wow. That other, yeah. that other person who did all those things. Good job, guy. Good job. Yeah. Well, that is I was watching something the other day on like YouTube about like resume writing and about what's why it's so hard when we sit down to write our resumes. We have like this weird thing about like object permanence mm. with our jobs and the things that we've done. So we disassociate ourselves with the, our accomplishments so often when you actually sit yeah. to think about them. It's actually kind of a challenge. We like, what did I do in 2017? I don't know. You know, like and you have to like kind of go through and put your brain in that space. So anyway, I, yeah. uh, you're I started, welcome for connecting started, you again. I started doing a little thing I would recommend to you both uh, all. Uh, I started writing down every awesome thing I've ever done, like that I can think of that are just like rad things that I've done and just have them in a notebook. So you can be like, hell yeah, I did those things. And it can be anything, right? But like, like that you, time you, you walk the runway with RuPaul. Yes, like that. Exactly. Oh, that's mm -hmm. it. Is that exactly. for real? Yeah, that's for real. Um, at, a at a mall opening in the middle of nowhere in Nevada, uh, and, and she was performing in a mall court and uh, she said, anybody want to rock the runway? And I was out of my seat in a fucking flash and up on that runway. I was like, fuck, oh, yeah, I do. Damn. So this Whoa. was like in that weird, that weird nebulous time before uh, Drag Race started where she was like, it was after supermodel but you know so it was like that weird space where she was just doing whatever and but she rocked it man she was like and she was very aware she was in a mall food court and was kind of <laughs> making fun of it which was great so it was it was really fantastic that's, that's incredible awesome. that's so cool yeah. that's really really cool it's really well, random isn't it <laughs> i'd be writing that down in a notebook as well probably just that over and over and over <laughs> you should definitely put that in every resume that you submit from your yeah. yeah even it's if it's like not even remotely yeah, even if it's not even remotely relevant, just yeah, please just write asterisks that on thing. the bottom. By the way, has done this, but we're not here I to talk about that me. My, as my objective on the top, honestly. Yeah. But... Before my name, <laughs> like, yeah, just... exactly. Put it in, yeah, put it in parentheses before your name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> so yes, uh, we're not here to talk about RuPaul, even though I could do that all day. We want to talk with you guys about your lives and and what you're into. Um, and I know I, I want to start with um, Jeremy, because I think you were the one who was most enthusiastic to come to Horror Movie Survival Guide, because you are a true horror head. When did you fall in love with horror uh, and, and, and all that good stuff? Oh, well, I was not really allowed to watch horror movies growing up uh, due to uh, having a very Christian upbringing. And yeah. I, I got... Hey, sorry, knows what that's like. Relatable. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, and I got super into just movies in general in my mid to late teens. And as part of that, looking up like great movies historically, uh, you run into some horror movies, some really notable horror movies. So can I... I, can I can I pop in and ask what got you into movies, period? Um, movie, that, yes. Uh, back when I was, I think, 15, uh, um, it was Bravo. I think it was Bravo had the uh, the Godfather novella, which is the first uh -huh. two Godfather movies re-edited to be in chronological order. Uh, so they have like Whoa. all of the all of the Vito Corleone stuff from Godfather Part Two, then all of Godfather Part One with deleted scenes because uh, there were deleted scenes from these movies, and then all of the 1950s How's stuff. How's that possible? Those movies are so long. Yeah, uh, one of one of them is if you've seen the first Godfather movie where Michael's Actually. wife gets blown up. 
uh, in the second movie, they, you see them blow. Julia that has guy. never seen any Whoa. Godfather movie. This is her weird whole. Sorry, Julia is a, is a cinephile, but she's on a weird point about never seeing a Godfather movie. No, 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 I'm, I'm, not I'm right there with I you, just, Julia. I haven't. I haven't seen I them. Also I also haven't I, seen them. They're really so good. I, <laughs> they're re- it's oh like, my god! Like they're in a different no, category know, than most. I, like oh, like oh, it's such a good movie. It's so stuffy. Like those movies were mega hits. Like when the first oh, Godfather movie was the highest grossing movie when it came out. They're they're really entertaining. It's like every 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 cinephile has their movie gap of something huge they haven't watched, and this is mm. mine. And it's not that I've done it on purpose, but I would like to see them all three of them back to back in a theater. That would be ideal. So Ooh. if that could happen, that would be. Mm. Can I? Well, I'm gonna can keep I come a lookout. Along? Yeah, yeah, please. Uh, that's because I also Godfather Party movies. Yeah, Godfather yeah. Party. Okay, so you went from Godfather to uh, went and that from just Godfather... opened your mind to kind of everything. A little bit, because 2007 was also, like, the year that There Will Be Blood and uh, No Country for Old Men came out. So I remember watching oh, yeah. them around the same time and Taxi Driver around the oh, same okay. time. Uh, but, yeah, it was kind of from there I branched out into, like, classic movies and then current-day prestige movies. And then along the way, I eventually arrived. I think the first one that I really remember checking out was The Exorcist, because The Exorcist shows oh. up on every oh, list as being one of the best movies, uh, let How alone horror go? movies. Um, I wasn't re- really super-duper scared, but I was very shocked. I was, I'd, like, never seen a movie that had... I feel like you couldn't make a movie with some of the things, like the crucifix scene and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. I feel like it, mm. you, couldn't, you couldn't do that. And I was just like, whoa. Uh, but yeah, great movie. Yeah, it goes hard. It goes yeah. real hard. It sure yeah. does. I have a story yeah. about that for later when we're on top. Well, let's uh, talk about it now. Well, can, yeah. we, can we, if you have your exorcist story, pop it out. Oh, right. It's, I can do it very short. It's basically just that uh, I were all, uh, I don't know if I'd seen a horror movie ever before in my life. Uh, I was nine years old and my uh, auntie and uncle, who are only like three and four years older than me, uh so they were only like 14 or something at the time had managed to rent it from like a blockbuster uh and uh we watched it and uh the nine-year-old me got to the point where the the she was sat on the corner of the bed looking out the window and then her head turns a full 180 and uh my everything fell out (laughs) <laughs> and uh and uh to try and calm me down uh my auntie put um uh backstreet boys okay. uh on like a cassette player thing that she had uh and played it like on headphones just like on a loop to try and get me to calm down so and my now, mom now do you had... have like a connection in your brain between backstreet boys and the Exorcist? well this well this is what happened my mom had no idea i didn't say anything and then about two weeks later we're in asda and which is like a supermarket over here mm-hmm. if you yeah. don't have it over there i think it's actually run by walmart uh oh. it's basically like a walmart uh and in the middle of the aisle i just sit down and start weeping uncontrollably oh, no. and my mom's like what and i'm like oh the, the the girl she's coming to get me she's coming to get me and my mom was like what the fuck is going on uh and basically i eventually told her she dropped she literally put all of the shopping down uh and like left the trolley in the middle of asda and marched me around to my auntie's house where she went bananas (laughs) my auntie and uncle was just like what are you doing wow (laughs) you had like exorcist ptsd man it was bad i i I had to have a group of friends basically uh watch it with me in uni to like try and get over the fear and i honestly they were all like sat around holding my hand because i was like shaking i was so scared wow. oh. which is fine because i've watched other scary movies but that one definitely just 
Like it messed me up for a while. That one. It that was you. nine. Like it was. De- it was. That was. That's, yeah, imp- too so too young to watch that movie. So what? So how did you feel at the end of watching it for the second time in university? It's quite cathartic, I think. And I was like, yeah, it's a good movie. Okay. <laughs> like, All right. <laughs> it's a good. It's a good movie. That. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I can see it for its like, uh, for the nuance and the 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 you know the messages that they were saying. Whereas at the time. I was confused about what your mother dines in hell means. Uh, yeah. I wasn't, I didn't get that line <laughs> when I was nine. Mm. Well, what exactly does she dine upon Jasper? Do you remember what, uh, what specifically? Oh God, I can't, I actually genuinely don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I blocked it out. <laughs> Probably uh, yeah. something bad. I, yeah, it's, it's, I think the original line is your mother sucks cocks in hell. Oh wow. See, that's the thing. I've just, <laughs> I've completely blocked that out. That's so wild. In my yeah. head, the the line is your mother just your mother dines in hell. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, dining, so dining on the TV version she's with uh, Leonidas. Maybe. She's eating with Leonidas. Uh, oh, that's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that is really so, quite funny. Sorry, Jeremy. Yeah. <laughs> Back to you though. <laughs> Holy crap! I'm what? sorry, Jasper. <laughs> I love that Exorcist connection. Now that's amazing. Amazing. That's terrifying. Oh man. So you get more into film. What is your, um, I want to know, because I know we're going to talk a little bit about your podcast. So I want to know what, uh, what, where's the D&D connection as well? Because I'm wondering if that has any connection with the horror or your movie connections. Uh, D&D came along a lot later because by the time d uh, by the time I had even played D&D, uh, I think Hereditary had already come out. Let me see. Um, I pl- first played D&D in like October. Oh yeah, it ca- Hereditary had already come out by the time D&D, uh, I started playing D&D, uh, which was the fall of 2018, October 2018. And so I would say horror kind of intersects with D&D in that it affected my sensibilities as a dungeon master. So like stuff like um, yep. the ending of Akira or <laughs> just about any like number of horror movies. Like I really am a huge fan of the witch uh, really like mm-hmm. hereditary. Um, actually the two, the 2010s had a lot of good horror movies. If you're not into like jump scares and stuff, which I like jump scares, but man, there are some good horror movies from that decade. And it absolutely has affected my sensibilities as a dungeon master. I like to lean in a horror direction from time to time, Uh, sometimes pretty far into a horror direction, depending on the campaign. Mm -hmm. But uh, like we uh, here's an example, uh, a relatively mild example in a in a in Outlaws and Obelisks. uh, There's it's a post apocalyptic North Africa inspired setting. And there was a scene where a character kind of was transported through somebody else's memories to the moment the apocalypse occurred. And it was kind of like a combination of the ending of Akira and the, the playground scene from Terminator two. Yeah. That's where my mind went immediately. I was like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like that, but a lot more like space warpy. Uh, but oh, no, oh, as I was describing it and describing like the ways that people were being mutated and ripped apart and stuff, I like looked up and all of the players had these looks of utter horror on their faces. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and That's what you live for. That's somewhere what you live for. Of yes. all of us just being like, what on earth? Like, <laughs> and what is happening? Yes. A beast <laughs> deep within my chest purred when I saw those looks. <laughs> uh, I was like, yes. 
<laughs> the joy that Jeremy Cobb gets for adding some horror elements and scaring the crap out of his players is a beautiful thing. And I he had the gall to, to call himself the friendly neighborhood DM for like months during this, all of this. Uh, he's now, <laughs> like he's he since still stopped. says that, like, but in jest now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he absolutely knows. He knows now. He knows what he's doing. And everyone is like caught, cottoned on to the trick now. I've never, I, are there games that, I mean, have you played a game as, as if you were like as hard as hereditary goes like are there games that go that hard in the horror direction i think cthulhu might go that hard call of okay. cthulhu might but even like, if you, you have the right have... dm i feel like maybe it could yeah i don't know i think i think what you need to do even is vampire have... the masquerade there are games where sometimes depending on what you're doing they can go hard i think you i need... just don't know if you'd feel as helpless as it is in hereditary that's the thing that i, I think you'd struggle to replicate in a game <laughs> well you are as a player in a game of DD, really because although you have what you're saying the dm says ultimate so they sure. can override yeah, you in, in any way they want that's very true i think that's the best true. way to achieve it would be to play a long campaign of like D D or something and then so that everybody has really strong relationships to their characters and to the other characters oh, and to the world yeah. and then play and then call just start killing everyone yeah then that's play right. call yeah. <laughs> where you will you like you can only try and survive and that's it uh but now it like you have so much more emotional stakes uh, yeah, well, that's what makes a, a horror movie work, right? Is if you care about the characters and don't want to see them hurt. So that's yeah, brilliant. Yeah, mm -hmm. I did. I did do a pretty uh, horror intense D and uh, D game with some of my friends. They were visiting like one like their hometown, and basically one of the one of the players it was like one of the second times they've ever played D and D, and they went like a bit off the rails with their backstory because I think basically the typical thing happened where the first time they'd played they didn't really know that they could like create a whole backstory and everything. And yeah. then, so then the second time when they came to me, they were like, Oh, I can do like anything I want. And he basically was like, I'm the prince of this land and I have all this money and people like, you know, and I'm going to be the King one. And I was like, this like fundamentally breaks my game. Uh, so I need to find a way for him to like, not be the prince uh, without it being like really deeply unsatisfying. And basically, um, they like walked through the front gates expecting there to be this big kind of fanfare parade. And as they walked through the front gates, the kind of illusion slipped away and the whole place had been like completely turned over uh, and like had turned like sickly, sickly and rancorous and the doors slammed shut behind them. And basically there was like a curse had been laid upon his like kingdom nice. or whatever. Nice. And they were stuck inside <laughs> this, in this kind of very kind of Cthulhu-esque castle. And they basically hid under beds whilst extremely high level monsters are running around uh are running around they basically just hid under beds for like two or three sessions which was quite fun and i think one of them did die in the end so oh brilliant yeah, that was quite fun brilliant so jasper i want to talk a little bit more about where you fell in love with film as mm. well and yeah. and and art and all that good stuff sure so i think that for me I think I just I like I was just like the perfect age uh, when like kind of movie magic just kind of hit a, like a new level, um, you know, like watching the first like even like the first like Harry Potter films and just seeing like magic on screen um and how like realistic it looked and i and many people will uh will hate me for saying this but like i remember watching the prequels when i was like 10 or 12 or something 
um and was like these are the best movies ever made like uh, objectively oh, no. <laughs> uh i absolutely now can't bear to watch them like i tried right. to rewatch them thinking they can't be that bad like i remember really enjoying them and then i rewatched them as like good lord i feel in i feel physically in pain watching this because <laughs> the dialogue is bad and the, just that everything is bad but yes i think the, the moving magic of seeing these things on screen and seeing the kind of uh seeing them kind of you know like sci-fi really kind of brought to life and stuff i think was one of my first real loves and i think i definitely still have like a such a soft spot for sci-fi to the point where like honestly if you put a spaceship in something i'll probably love it like, <laughs> like it's so easy to impress me i just watched dune and was like oh it's the best movie i've ever watched okay cool and then i went back and was like oh, i was okay it's definitely not but i really enjoyed it like just because i think it was it was just that particular genre just really encaptured my imagination and then i think well what um, about uh, like sci-fi horror crossovers you got well to, like, yeah alien this is, and event horizon and that kind of stuff well this is exactly it i remember watching alien when i think alien uh, uh might be one of the first ever like sort of scary films that i watched like post <laughs> post uh the 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 exorcist so uh and i and again i absolutely loved it i thought that the um i, I remember having a very tangible experience of being like oh i'm so scared but i'm it's really thrilling um and i think there's enough intrigue in the world in which i was like Oh, okay. I can kind of get past past traumas of being like scared of watching a movie or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, I think Alien was probably up there as one of the first uh, kind of scarier or kind of very tense movies that I watched post The Exorcist because uh, I basically just watched like very like boyish movies for like most of my young adult life because I couldn't bear to watch anything serious because i was very scarred <laughs> by my previous experiences clearly exorcist is too hard <laughs> it's way too hard for a nine-year-old like it's yeah. way too hard um and then yeah and then and then uh i i realized very early on that i particularly loved cinematography which i also think is part of the reason why i loved sci-fi sci-fi particularly was that 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 kind of the sort of uh sculpting of shots and the visuals of sci-fi i always found them to be uh very like aesthetically pleasing um and uh and that was kind of what kicked off my love of kind of wanting to create film and make film um and uh and i think i pretty much just went like, oh what's the shortest route for me to get into film and i was like probably acting i feel like you could kind of I, maybe i could get lucky i think that was what i was <laughs> thinking when i was like 15 or whatever uh how foolish um yeah we all made our choices jasper we get it we, <laughs> yeah, we exactly. laugh because we understand <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah we laugh because it all hurts it hurts everyone yeah, yeah. um yeah. but no and, and i think that so yeah i just i had a deep passion for sort of studying films and much to my fiance's annoyance i i like i love you know like i'm the kind of person that loves like pausing a movie and then discussing a particular shot or camera angle or choice of dialogue or mm. you know uh like like mid movie which i completely understand is the most irritating thing in the world um so like now i try to like have a notebook or something with me so that i could try and like Keep make notes, notes midway we through we take a lot of notes we understand yeah we yeah our team notebook here we get it that is What's literally hilarious. how this podcast was created <laughs> that's that's how like you know i like i love film because i will actively go out of my way to not take notes in every other aspect of my life like i hate taking notes 
unless it's for films specifically and i feel like i've seen something cool and then i want to make a note of it yeah you want to remember it i want to remember it yeah and so and then yeah that's kind of led me to to today where i yeah i probably i don't i don't watch nearly as many films or tv shows and things as i would like to and because you uh, guys are busy doing your podcast so so busy so so busy (laughs) do you Uh, you work in film now what was that do you work in film now I work in animation. I work in oh. uh, uh, an animation for children, actually, um, at the BBC, which is very, oh, very cool. So that's my sweet. like my day job uh, is I work in developing uh, TV shows for children um, at the BBC, which is a lot of fun. Yeah, it um, sounds like it. And uh, we get to make some, we get to develop some really, really cool. We're developing some really cool, unique ideas, especially for like sort of a young adult audience. Like young adult animation is very, very big right now. Um, uh, so. Uh, yeah, r- lots of very exciting stuff happening. But yeah, so it's, I'm still sort of in the I'm in the space, which is nice, and uh, definitely finding that animation is a a particular fun calling. So I'm enjoying that a lot at the moment. So how do your two lives intersect? Yeah, how did you all meet? Uh, with that play? Yeah, it was uh, with that. Uh, we both were in the same play. I was uh, Jasper was the young man who loved the lion, the titular lion, uh, mm-hmm. the butterfly lion, and I was the kindly circus owner who was hired to come take the the lion away to my French circus. Uh, a brilliant French accent. Yes. I love. Oh my God, can you give us some French day. accent, Can you Jeremy? do the line, Jeremy, please? Uh, yeah, sure. I will try and do the, <laughs> the, the line, uh, which is, uh, if you can feed him, you can take him. Take him back to England with you. <laughs> Whoa, that was really good. That's very hot, Jeremy. Jeremy, delicious. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Do voice you. Jeremy. Well thank done. You. <laughs> well done. That line in particular. That line in particular when uh was the line was like the pivotal, it was the most pivotal oh, line of the man. show because like yeah. the main relationship of this show is between Jasper's character and the lion, and he's just fought in World War One and has like <laughs> wandered through war-torn France to find my uh carnival or my circus to find it like completely derelict and the only animal i have left is the lion and it's like the emotional climax of the show but whole show when we did when we were doing um tech the whole time the whole time we'd done the uh, (laughs) rehearsals we'd never had issues with laughing on stage but for whatever reason (laughs) when we when we got to this line in tech i (laughs) I could not get through it, and neither could Jasper. And Jasper, I can hear him laughing now. Jasper has his back to the audience, so he can yeah. laugh all he wants. It looked like I was sobbing. It looked like I was sobbing oh. my eyes out because my shoulders were just going like, <laughs> and I'm just like, if you can, be needed. What was worse? What was worse, Julia and Terry? Let me tell you this. Right, is that we got to like. Uh, we had to do this like eight times in a row because it's tech rehearsals, right? You have to like go back to your spot mm-hmm. and then they do the light lights again right. or the sound again. But what was worse is we got to like the like the preview, the first show, and we were still kind of like hadn't gotten over it. Oh. And <laughs> and Jeremy decides to deliver this line looking straight past my head. Because yeah. he can't look <laughs> me in the eye. So I, it kind of looks like he's just got his eyes crossed from my perspective. Oh, no. And then he says the line. And I was like, <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> like, I, and I completely was completely gone. Like, I couldn't face the audience for the whole of the rest of the scene because I was laughing so hard. It was the most unprofessional I've ever been. 
by far. You know, you know what one of my very favorite things in the world is? Watching an actor break on stage oh. delights me to it's know. Beautiful. I, it really is. And like audiences fucking love that shit. When you break, have you ever, they love it. Uh, uh, Julie, have you ever watched Shakespeare Shakespeare? Have I ever what what's that? Have you ever watched Shitface Shakespeare? No, what is that? Okay, I really recommend it. It's usually on at like any fringe festival over here in the UK, like any big fringe festival, you'll probably find uh, a, a version of it. But it's effectively where uh, a group of actors tried to put on a very genuinely earnest and serious Shakespeare, okay. but one of the actors spins a bottle before the show and whoever it lands on, they get absolutely annihilated throughout the oh, show. No. And it is the funniest thing <laughs> oh you'll ever see. Because like they have this thing where they're not allowed to break character and stuff. And so like they'll be on stage and like all of them will be like, We're waiting for someone to come in. Like trying to like trying to like ha ha come on like, oh and then someone goodness. will like stumble literally stumble into the scene hiccuping <laughs> burping and being like what the like and you can just see that the, the look in their eyes of just like what mistake have i made where <laughs> am i what the fuck is happening and it's truly the most enjoyable experience because half the time they're like they'll just be like uh um um, oh, they've got nothing. They've got nothing. nothing. They're so wasted. They're truly white girl wasted. Wow. Uh, and it's, a, it's so entertaining. It really that's is. That's genius. Whoever came up with an idea, hats off. Well done. And, I, and I'm still, and still to this day, I really want to do like a shit faced uh, Dungeons and Dragons where oh. I, as the DM, uh, get annihilated and my oh, players no. just try and the DM. On oh, the rails. No. I think that would be quite entertaining, personally. Oh no! That would be that would be the adventure to end all adventures in a very yes. literal sense, because no one would yes. ever want to play with you again. No, yeah. nope. no, okay, not so again. You, you do, do this, meet on the play show. together, and then yeah. yeah, and then how do you decide to do a podcast together? Because you're, you know, how how did you figure this out? That was Jasper's uh, idea, really. He, yeah. uh, we had started, uh, actually, the cast of the Butterfly Line during the pandemic. Had I had gotten everybody into D&D back when we originally did the show. Uh, and then we uh, Jasper started DMing a campaign later that year. And then when the pandemic hit, uh, the cast were like, hey, we all like each other. Why don't we get back together and start doing our D&D campaign again? And this time, Jasper and I were alternating DMing like uh, weeks and after each session we would like talk about it and we'd spend a really really long time talking about D&D uh, and Jasper you could take it from here because I, I think at this point it's your own personal experience well yeah it, it was just like every single time we would talk about uh, Dungeons and Dragons we'd kind of we just we'd kind of plan like what we're gonna do in the next session or whatever and then we'd stay on talking for probably like another two hours or something wild um and just be like you know talking about the intricacies of Dungeons and Dragons and quite often you know we'd have a conversation of being like oh that's weird how that is kind of messed up or this race you know is just like blanketly evil for no reason or you know and we'd sort of we'd sort of start to get into these kind of quite like uh big uh conversations like you know talking about Dungeons and Dragons and it literally was just like oh I wonder if you know, uh, there's anything to this. We've got a bunch of time. We're all just sat around indoors. Uh, you know, I wonder if there's anything to recording this. Um, and then literally the day before we <laughs> we recorded one uh, <laughs> episode. It's like a lost episode uh, in <laughs> which uh, I was recording on my phone, which I kept forgetting I was doing. And not with headphones. 
bear in mind. So Jeremy was being played out loud through my laptop because uh, you were on Zoom. And oh, I was recording no. on my on my phone. I kept forgetting that I was recording on my phone. And like, I and like, I kept like, I get like a text message or something. And I would then like put my phone like underneath the duvet cover oh, to like no. stop myself from getting distracted. And I was like, oh no, I'm recording on that. And it was truly was like 101 of what not. And Jeremy had a fan blowing directly into his mic the whole time. Uh, oh, beautiful! <laughs> so beautiful. It was truly the worst thing ever. I, I, the best audio that ever did audio. I can it, only imagine. It was truly tragic, and the episode wasn't good. Like we were all over the place. I don't know what we even spoke about, but I think I, it was very. I think Three Black Halflings nearly lived and died in that one r- recording. Huh. Like it's wild. <laughs> Persevered. Yeah, yeah, and then well, I basically said to Jeremy, I was like, "Look, Jeremy, I'm gonna go and buy a mic." And we're gonna try this again. And then, literally, the day before we tried again, uh, 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 a friend of mine, Unati, who uh, I went to drama school with, posted uh, that they were like, uh, like dyeing their hair extensions in the back garden with all these D and D books surrounding them, and they were like planning a big session that they were gonna be running. And I was like, "Oh, Unati plays D and D, and like Unati's super fun." And so, the first time that Jeremy and Unati met was like on the show. Uh, oh, wow. before the first episode like literally like a very successful pilot which is the first episode of our show is literally the first like they literally met maybe five minutes before that ep- that that takes place wow. uh and it was just like a great like instant kind of connection we all just absolutely loved and vibed off each other and uh and 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 now we're here two and a half no two nearly two years later and uh, uh, we we have a new uh a host now because inati has got on to incredibly large and amazing things mm-hmm. uh with tim burton and netflix and uh, and stuff uh and and it's yeah like it's and i and i got to meet terry gamble in la yeah you know because of it like how and about now that you, now your guys shows on a headgum podcast you yeah. all have grown up you've had yeah. some of like the dignitaries of D come and grace your show like our dear friend abria iyengar yes Mas- matt mercer america's like probably most famous dungeon master yeah uh because he is the dungeon master for critical role and mm-hmm. so you guys have had like so many wonderful people on your show so for those of you who want to learn DD, i know some of our past guests actually recently uh who also mm. um yes would le- wanted to learn more this would be the show i'm just letting y'all know if you want to learn more about D and just get into the culture and have some fun with like the most enjoyable folks this is a good place to start oh yeah yeah it's very and, uh it's very laughy and if you wanna <laughs> if you wanna hear terry play some D on Ooh, our show yeah. i think by the time this comes out we will have already released uh city of the black rose which yes. is sort of a gothic horror noir uh, setting a mini campaign, only four episodes uh, that I DM'd, and Terry's a player. Yeah. Oh gosh. Oh gosh. So, it's so fun. Good. Yeah. So good. But but I, I now I'm just doing plugs in the middle, and I love it. But I want to talk about a movie we have have today with you all. <sighs> Y'all chose. Can yes. you tell us? Yeah. Why? I, why? And what are we watching? What yeah. are we talking about I'm today? Fine. I'm gonna throw this to Jeremy. Why, Jeremy? Why? Uh, the, <laughs> honestly, the reason is because you guys had already done The Witch. Uh, when I was in when I was in a drama school, um, there were two movies I think that I went and saw four times on my oh. own in a theater. And the first one was The Witch back when that originally came out, and the mm-hmm. second one was Hereditary. Uh, saw, how many times have you seen this movie now? Like six or seven, I think. Wild. Oh my gosh! Wild! Wow. You are hard. 
I I was super into this movie when it first came out. And uh, I, yeah, I think it's an absolute, I think it's, first of all, much scarier than most like atmospheric, creepy horror movies. Like this movie goes hard, uh, which I already love. And then the emotional aspects uh, and the visual aspects as well. Like all of the the things that are being communicated to you and the different, uh, the different themes. And it's just, there's a lot going on. I love this movie. Mm. So uh, I saw Hereditary uh, when it came out in theaters, um, and I was not—I was not prepared. I was not prepared for this, and uh, it actually upset me so much that I was like, "You know what? Don't need to watch that one again." And it's not because it's not great, and I can see how well done it is, and uh, you know, all the performances are incredible, and like, there's nothing—it's nothing that's a bad film at all. It just—it made me feel so terrible, and I see a lot of horror movies, mm. and it just made me feel so terrible. And I was like, "I don't want to feel that again." But so I knew I had to watch it again for this and I was very resistant. But my friend Melanie was like, okay, you look at it from a filmmaker standpoint, right? She's like, you're a filmmaker. You look at it, you're like, what about it makes you uncomfortable? Mm. Is it the lighting? Is it the camera work? with the sound? Like, what is it that you don't like about it? And it's not that I don't like, it's just it's very effective, right? And, and, and he's done his job. He's made it a movie that even a seasoned horror hound like me is like, nope, don't want to watch that again. You know, it's, it's really, and, and I mean it in the, it's like a compliment that I don't want to watch it because that's how scary it is. I want to watch this movie 10 more times. Do you, so this ki- is are you kidding like, me? I re- I'm really glad I, you brought this to us, Jeremy, because obviously I haven't watched it because Julia hadn't want to watch it over. Mm. So we hadn't done it yet on the show. And um, I'm really glad you brought it as a suggestion because I was like, now we get to do it. Now we get to face this. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it so much was terrified, was texting Julia because I ended, we were going to watch it together and it ended up just timing wise didn't work out. And I was texting her like, oh, my God, this movie is so scary, <laughs> like in the middle of it. And with all my lights on in my house, you know, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I found it so affecting and just beautiful. Mm. And also um, at the end, though, too, we recently covered a movie that I think you'd probably really enjoy that I'm going to give you a recommendation now too, called Anything for Jackson. Ooh. Ooh, okay. Um, it's a Canadian film. Yeah. Write it down. Um, it's got it's got similar vibes. Very similar. I would do it. I would do it as a double feature. Ooh, oh, wow. okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was actually a recommendation from Pat Oswalt. So yeah. you should take that for you know. Oh well, yeah. Super cinephile, super cinephile fan. And uh, yeah. well, thank you. I was Patton. just like, oh, yeah. Oh, Shutter on Amazon. Okay, cool. I've, yeah, I it's it's, it's pretty fantastic. Mm. Uh, the fact so. as well, we have to just point out that this is Ari Aster's directorial feature film debut. What? Is what? This is a debut? Bananas. Yeah. Are you what? serious? Yeah. How did they get connected to this film? That's amazing. Do you know? Because I, I know, know. It's t- that Tony and Gabriel Byrne produced this. Yes. So Super it was like props. their choice to want to do this. Yeah. Well, I guess props to props to the producing team if they were willing to give this, you know, big ass movie to to uh, you know, a, a new time director, and like I said, it paid off. <laughs> like it, it, it definitely paid off. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And I think I think for me, Tony Collette gets all the love, and she should because her performance is astounding. But mm. when I saw it, it was Alex Wolf that totally blew my mind yeah like his performance. Yeah. because there's so much of the of this movie that's really just a still shot on his face mm-hmm. and all it's all him like he has mm-hmm. to do everything and he does it he kills it every second of the way and i was just i'd never seen him before and i was like who the fuck is this guy wow yeah. the emotion on his face i think is is incredibly moving like yeah. when he's like there was i think 
Uh, are we okay to go into spoilers? Yeah, yeah. We are so spoiler heavy. We can we can talk about the whole movie. Yeah. I, I pretty much like every like nearly every moment of like true panic was in the bedroom in his bedroom, um, and it was like a close up of him in bed waking up in the middle of the night, and you knew something fucking awful was going to happen. And the one where his sister is in the room with him and we stay with him for a while first and we don't know what he's looking at. Yeah. The mm. what he is conveying on his face. Like yeah. it's it goes beyond horror. It's truly like if I could cease to exist right now through like <laughs> like I, I like like you know, like like I think like the, his character feels like if I could just like flick a switch and not be right now because whatever is happening i oh, don't yeah. want it like the guilt the oh, yeah. do you know what i mean yeah. like it, it is all present in his face like it is a really like i i completely yeah. agree with you judah i think it's an astounding performance you could do like oh. a super cut of his face just, right. just his face and, you know, oh, and it would still and, be scary That's yeah, yeah. Be of course especially him in the classroom before he bangs his oh. Oh. face into what, his oh my god oh, it's like he's having a seizure like i was just it looks like there's something pushing up on like a half of his face i'm like i don't even know effects wise how they did that it looks so and fucked his, up. His hand as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh my and it looks goodness. like he's almost choking, like with his yeah. tongue, the way his tongue is positioned and stuff. It was just like, his yeah. eyes oh just look god. like they're going to bolt like, out of his head. Like, seizure slash aneurysm slash, oh my god, extra whatever paranormal, like, yeah. terrifyingness. It's goodness. so delicious all mm. in one. Oh. And, and really, like, the crux of the movie goes to him with the accident, right? Which is, you know, the most yeah. shocking, shocking, mm -hmm. you know, and, part of the movie. What, child just, decapitation this movie oh, gives yeah. you? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> totally fine. Um, but, you know, it's like, you know, you have the shocking moment where the whole audience, and, you know, and, and the thing was, is like when I saw it in the theater, it made it so much um, more amplified, right? Because mm. the, the feeling of dread in that theater, I can't even tell you. And the noise that the audience made when her fucking head hit that pole, I will never forget that noise. It was mm. just this noise of complete shock and horror. And then there's just this long, quiet moment where there's nothing but his fucking face. And like yeah. that, to me, is the most genius part of this. That you you follow up this shocking moment, which is silence. It's mm. well, it's the shock that the audience goes through, and yeah. I think that's yeah. why it's so. I think then, that's why his performance is so effective. He's kind of us a little bit. Like, what yes. the hell is going on here? Mm -hmm. He's emoting all the things that we should be feeling, and that we're like terrified. Like, oh my god, that guy, like would probably feel so guilty like you go through all the empathy with him and you connect mm. to him so wholly in that moment yeah. it's like audiences synergize with him and that question and then you get, of like, what, the little uh, whim what, and that well. question of like whether what just happened actually just happened like there's mm -hmm. the there's the long pause of like okay did that and you see like his eyes move up to the mirror and like yeah. the same thing the audience can only sort of see like the vague outline of his sister in the back seat and there's like the mm. question of like oh my god that did happen oh my god oh my god what do we do uh and it yeah it's complete he completely blue screens uh it's so effective like really and, really uh, great performance and i think it's like the little whimper as well where he's like you okay like he kind of like yeah he like doesn't want to speak loud enough to actually like for her to actually hear yeah. like yeah. it's uh, like oh it's just uh, oh man like yeah it absolutely gives me shivers like it's a Tr such an effective moment and it really i think as well like one thing like from a filmmaking perspective the reason i think it works so well is that we are uh it's like a, it's a classic misdirect right because we're in a pure panic for her that she's gonna like die but you know her throat's gonna close up and she's gonna suffocate on the back seat yeah. right 
and then she gets the relief of the like the cold air on her face. Do you know what I mean? And like the and she can breathe again. And like so there is like a classic kind of release of tension moment where and like the music changes and you're like, oh, okay, okay, it's fine. She's gonna be fine. Do you know what I mean? But like, we get that seconds before as well. So I just yeah. think that whole like in the car section is just it's just so it's so well put together. Yeah. Um, so can I, ha- I have I have questions as far as as the bare bones plot. Can we can I go through this with you? Yes, Jeremy? please. Okay. So this is we have the uh, Ellen Ellen Lee who is Queen Lee, right? Who is the leader of a coven who worships a demon named Paymon. That they are looking for a male host for him to go into. So she's trying to do that with her for her son, mm-hmm. right? Who is Annie's brother, and he ends up killing himself because he's saying you're trying to put people beside me. Yeah. So then we skip to uh annie won't let lee see peter when he's born but will let her see charlie when she's born so Mm -hmm. the plan is for the coven to to kill charlie so that she can go into peter with paymon during the possession of the end is that correct yeah i think the i think the idea is that payman was put into charlie Mm -hmm. uh at birth uh yeah uh she was supposed to be a boy yeah because she was like as soon as as soon as she saw as soon as she got a hold of charlie it's like i think she used the phrase uh she put her hooks into her and Mm. like and you have the the figure of her like trying to feed look like she was trying to buy it looked to me like she was trying to breastfeed charlie or something yeah uh one of the miniatures they showed up yeah Mm. and then when you see like signs of payment carved all around the house and stuff like that I think that, and actually on that telephone pole, uh, which is worth yep. mentioning. Yeah. Uh, but I think I think basically Payman had been put into Charlie at a very young age, and all that was left was to transfer Payman from Charlie to Peter. Okay. And that's so why then... mom tried to burn them, even though she was like, "I was sleepwalking" or whatever. I'm like, "Nah, like you, I'm you guessing you tried to get the yeah. like." like rid this spirit of, of your house multiple times, mm. just why all this terrible shit was happening, right? It's like mm. all these things had to happen to like make this payoff. So why did they why did they bother to go through Charlie? Why don't they just put him inside of Peter to begin with? I think because he was too old for them to have like prepared him properly and they didn't want to repeat they, of what happened and with she, the brother. Also had now. hit him, remember? She didn't let him around them. Yeah. Sure, but I mean like there he's not you said like he's too old to do it, but he's doing it now. So I don't, I mean, maybe it's something you can only do like right when they're a baby. I, they don't get into the backstory, which is fine. Uh, but I, when I remember when I first saw it, that was the question. I was like, why did they bother going through the little girl when they just had the host right there? Because anyway. he preferred a male, but they took what they could get. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, then they, yeah. Uh, I think the idea was like, we got to put him somewhere. So, it, and I, I was probably also, I'm oh, guessing yeah. easier. It... I, it would not surprise me, honestly, if Charlie, the person who is Charlie, was Payman the whole time. Not just that Payman oh, yeah. was inside of Charlie, but Charlie was gone. Like they'd gotten, they'd thrown Charlie out and put Payman in when she was a baby. And yeah. so the person who was Charlie was actually Payman this whole time. They just needed to clear Peter. And I'm guessing that it's harder to do that when they're like a teenager already. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think as well, there was something about where Payman was previously. So I, I think there was something in that, like, he was either sealed away and could only go into, like, a, a child, or, like a baby or whatever. But once it had been released, like, once he was in a physical body, then you then it's probably like a process of just transferring it over. 
Right. And I wondered what the connection was with um, with Queen Lee dying and like why that opened up a space. So I wasn't sure. Uh, if it was uh, well, I did. I did write down the, the passage that is highlighted in the book that she reads at the end when she's oh, amazing. putting stuff together. Of course, I wrote this down, Terry. You know, yes, I love it. Because uh, I feel like this is the crux of what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, when successfully invoked, King Payman will possess the most vulnerable host. OK, which would be a baby. Only when the ritual is complete and King Payment will be locked into his ordained host. Once locked in, a new ritual is required to unlock the possession. Oh. So um, I took that to mean, because I think this he goes into Annie at some point, right? Where she's possessed. Um, so, yeah, it seemed like it for a moment, So, so right? it's like transferring from Charlie to Annie to Peter. Yeah, I think be, that yeah. was the ritual that she did that she learned from Joni. Beautifully played yes. by Anne Dowd. Can we talk yes. about that for a second? Yes. Oh, man. Holy shit. Like Jeremy, bringing... did I or did I not say did I or did I not say as the as the car panned around, I said, We're about to see the bad guy. And then yeah. she appeared. Yeah. And I said that she's the bad guy. Like I I, I don't Same. care how she's a bad guy she is a hundred percent the whatever bad is about to happen it's her fault <laughs> yeah i was like she's too nice yeah like, don't trust somebody who's that nice to you about in, your in child a movie being where dead. no one's nice literally nope. the second the second i saw her i was like and then also i remember this is sorry i know i'm jumping really quickly but there was there's a, the most amazing thing where um so we, in the flat next door to us we all they always have like parties and stuff at the weekend and on the lead up to uh, her going to um, uh, to is it Annie? Is that the name of the uh, yeah Tony Collette's mm-hmm. character? Tony Collette's character. Yeah. yeah. Uh, on the way uh, to going there, there's this like, mm, 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 mm. and I thought it was like a party next door, <laughs> and then there was a, a moment where I went. Oh no, it's not next door, it's the movie. And that means that this is bad, like where she's going. And that was just like the first time that she was just going around for like a casual visit. And there's this like, like this is really kind of repetitive, like kind of beat. And I was like, yep, I knew it. She's the bad guy. Oh my God. Oh no, oh no, oh no. And and honestly, they underscored it beautifully. Yeah, sound plays a big part of it. Because as I said, I was looking at this from a filmmaker standpoint this time and like really paying attention, right? And the sound is fantastic Mm, because they're going between music, which is, you know, very foreboding, but then also the kind of sound effects and things that aren't really natural sounding. Mm-hmm. Like the uh, clicking tongue, that like the clicking motif tongue. of the clicking tongue. But I think really, uh, what I think struck me even more, and Joshua, you can see if you agree since you are hung up on camera work, I think it's really the camera work that really is the, what makes you feel the dread. And, and the interesting thing about it is it's very slow. Like mm. the, all, almost all of the camera work in this movie is very, very slow. And a lot of it's still, right? We're just looking at faces and things like that. Mm-hmm. So but there's always something in the background. That's the thing that fills the frame. And yes. so that's why I want to go back and watch this movie 10 more times because I want to yep. look at the background of every shot now again. Well, because think... each time there's like some character in the back or something that's foreboding right yeah. in a corner. Yeah, but yeah. I think we're so used to with horror movies now, everything being very fast cuts, right? And like yeah. this movie doesn't do that at all. And I think, Jeremy, that might be what you like about The Witch at all as well. It's like it's a very small, insular story with only a few people and everything's quite slow paced for a horror film mm-hmm. as we're used mm-hmm. to, you know, as opposed to like a Freddy versus Jason type thing. Yeah. So I, yeah. Th- I think one of the, the reasons that I, so one of the reasons that I knew or I felt like we were about to see something bad or something awful is about to happen is because there's something very specific about cars in horror movies or just cars in films generally, which is when you have like a very static shot in a car, I think it builds a certain level of tension 
purely on the basis that like being a car going uh, like you know going along or whatever it's like you have the ability to turn and to look and to check your surroundings like it's a very fundamental part about being in a car so when you have like a very fixed camera angle in a, in a car and you're being told where to look there is this kind of i think there's a very like uh subliminal part of our brains which is like mm, but what's like what's next to the car it happens quite a lot where like you you always get that shot where it's focused on like the passenger window as they're driving along and then they'll get the car will get hit by like a lorry from the side or something right do you know i mean you can kind you kind of know it's gonna come and i think it's something about this idea of a very fixed camera angle within a car evokes this sense of like oh but i want to look around i want to know that that there's no there's no hazards do you know what i mean and I think that, like, again, that felt very, very purposeful that, like, we got this kind of fixed shot in a in the car, which panned, like, onto, do you know what I mean? Which, yeah. As the car kind of drove around, it panned onto Annie, this, like, woman, like, dead center, kind of being there, like, ha! Ah! Do you know what I mean? It was a very, like, it felt very, very purposeful to give us that, like, uh, uh, sense of, like, I, I don't mm-hmm. trust it because I can't see everything. I can't see you all around it, you know? Mm-hmm. It was I never also thought a bit, about that before. That's interesting. It was also a bit like the movie sort of steering us onto the next part of the plot. It yeah. felt like, like okay. Literally we, steering? Mm, yeah, mm-hmm. literally. Like, okay, here's the next mm-hmm. thing. And I think if we're talking visual language, we also have to mention the the uh, model, like the miniature model motif. Yes. The, like the, the fact that when the first time we see this family they're like, or at least the son, he's depicted as a miniature in like a crafted uh, in a crafted room, uh, in an arts and crafts house. Yes, the green and green like architecture yes. and like all of that very arts and craftsmen. And- Everything's handmade, hand built. Yes. yes, and I think that ties in with one of the big themes of the movie for me, which is like the predestination, inevitability. The uh, mm. when he's in class, uh, when Sophocles. Peter, yes, when Heracles. he's in class yes. talking about Heracles missing mm-hmm. all of the signs of the tragedy, and and the mm-hmm. ultimate revelation is that Heracles never had any control over what was going to happen. Right. It was just always mm. going to happen, even if he possibly even he had seen the signs, he wouldn't have been able to stop it. And yeah, that's yeah. What we always the characters about are the... in the hopeless machine. It says in the in yeah. the class. I always and, listen to the class what they're yes. talking about. Yeah, it's always the movies, subtext. It's always uh, relevant to the class discussion. So you always pay attention to those classes. You go, ah, this is going to li- literally parallel. And I was like, oh no, this is going to be all bad for them as soon as I listen to that teacher. So I, I, I wish I could have. Who's, been role, paying who's ruling it then? Is it Paymon? Who they're under his thumb and they're under his control. I think it was the cult. I think I think it was mm. the cult's control. Uh, I think Ari, I think Ari Aster actually said that Rosemary's Baby was an inspiration for this. And mm. for me, one of the big themes of Rosemary's Baby, the way that I interpret that movie, is as a sort of feminist tragedy where this woman is basically being oppressed by the patriarchy, this secret cabal of men, mostly men, with a few women who are also complicit, mostly older women, uh, who are trying to hold her to this system, who are using her to reproduce, and no matter who she goes to, they're, they either are falling prey to the, uh, they're either part of the cult or they're falling prey to it. And the only person who's not in it is her gay best friend. Uh, but like the... <laughs> Even the doctor only listens to her husband. And I feel like there's nothing part of the, the the terror of Rosemary's baby is not only how mundane the actual witches are, but the fact that like there's nothing she seems to be able to do to get away. And I think it's the same thing with Annie. No matter what she's trying to do, 
everything she does plays into their hands. Like she sends Charlie out to a party. It turns out they already set this up. There's already the sign of payment on the telephone pole. Like it's there. There was literally nothing they could have done. I feel like to have escaped it. And I think it was the cult who had set it all in motion by making deals with payment and possibly other entities, uh, which I did a little bit of research into the demonology of the situation. Yeah. Apparently yes, mm, give it to us. Yeah. Oh, apparently the, 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 the idea of payment coveting a male host, uh, that stuff I think was made up for the movie because I can't find any references to it in the, in at least the descriptions of payment that I've been able to find. But, Is payment a real, a real demon? Yeah. Payment's a real demon. Oh, okay. Um, oh, okay. Payment, I think existed possibly pre-Christianity as a djinn, but then was kind of ported over to Christianity in the 1600s, I believe. What's a, what's a djinn? A djinn uh, is, really? yeah, it's like a pre, it's, it kind of got, I think the, it's an Arabic, like if you're looking at Arabic mythology, eventually becoming Islam, uh, they're basically like spirits, uh, in Islamic mythologies and religions. Mm. Um, okay. and, uh, he eventually was kind of absorbed into Christianity as a demon. He, the, the symbol of him, I think that appears is, at, uh, is his actual symbol in real life. Uh, oh, okay. And the depictions yeah. of him, like on a camel with his hand up in the air, uh, I think that's those are also real depictions. But the uh, the idea of him coveting specifically a male host is not. And also, I think typically in order to get to payment, you usually have to summon a bunch of other demons first. Uh, oh. So, oh, so they probably had a series to do. Is were those are the other names I was wondering mm. that were around the house because they had like each bed kind of had like on the wallpaper mm-hmm. had a name. It or something written it in it. Been. And I, I was, was wondering, wondering about each one of those names, cultists. like Satani, Zazan, or something like that. Like they each had like Zazas. Yeah, um, that's, that is an actually from... And I was wondering about each one of those. I found that somewhere. Uh, let me see if I can find it again. Uh, yes, Zazas is a word used by Aleister Crowley to call forth Charonzon. Which I think oh, Charizard okay. is another uh, demon. It's like a Pokemon, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wings. Charizard. Yes, yeah, yeah, uh, Charizard is a demon that originated uh, with, in the 16th century. Okay, or at least with, in writing with this in the 16th century. Uh, so yeah, I think the idea is that the, they were other demons that had been called forth to help ensure this, which is why I suspect that the person who possesses Annie towards the end when she's chasing Charlie through the house is mm. not Payman, but is actually one of the other demons who is trying oh. to uh, try yeah, to that, transfer Payman. The smiley mm. dude, he has to be a demon. Like a hundred percent. That guy that guy is who's so at the funeral horrifying. and then he's yeah. there later. Yeah. Oh, and, and he's, he's just like in the later. cupboard. Oh yeah. my god. Yo, the naked that, smiley uh, people is a touch of so genius. uncomfortable. <laughs> because they're so they, good. They seem they have genuinely friendly smiles, but it's so they're so unmoving and they're yeah. so naked. <laughs> like, <laughs> that is walking into a room of universe. naked people when you're not expecting it. That's quite a shock. Yeah. In itself. Like, yeah, and it's mostly the men though too you notice at the end it's like all the men and then the women are in robes so i was like oh okay like payment just wants to see men like that's it <laughs> <Yeah>. at this point <laughs> yes, right. okay, okay. He, wants to, he likes what he likes um uh, i just wanted to real quickly oh. as well uh just on the miniature point um the uh, there is such a good shot it's the the night that it all happens uh, there is an external shot of the house uh, and they use the, the filming technique where they, I think I can't remember the uh, millimeter of the lens. And so apologies for any people that know it. Uh, but there is a certain millimeter of lens where you can basically look, make things look like miniatures. 
Um, yeah, they and did they... a lot in this film, actually, I feel like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but they didn't do it specific. Like, I feel like they hadn't done it with the house. No, they yes. had. There were a few transitions with the house. Oh, they yeah. had done it's it with like the a house. Oh, yeah, quite a few. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. I think I missed. I just remember very distinctly the night of seeing the the very kind of purpose, like in the rain, kind of shot of it looking. Anytime like anything a... bad happened, pretty much the house looked like a miniature. Right. Oh, uh, I might. Yeah. To be honest, I may have also been uh, hiding behind my fingers. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's what so... I was gonna. I wasn't gonna say anything, but that was my guess. <laughs> but that's quite uh, possible. And that is that was the most cat. That's the most striking <laughs> of the transitions because I think that's the only time that mm. in, during the switch from day to night, the actual like setting changes. Because every other time it's just house day, house night. This time, house right. day, house night, and hundreds of naked people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I think I think it's cool that they use the miniatures as well to tell some backstory, right? We get that miniature mm. of, the, of the grandmother breastfeeding. We get the miniature of the grandmother like standing kind of scary in the doorway, you know, obviously have woken up in like a dementia kind of state. Mm -hmm. So you get this kind of backstory of stuff mm -hmm. that you... You don't really I'm guessing need it to wasn't say. dementia. I'm guessing she had sure. a demon in her. Yeah, right? that's mm. probably true. Um, but we haven't uh, we haven't talked about Tony Collette, so let's just talk about Tony Collette. Mm. And uh, wow, Tony Collette, yes, <laughs> amazing. I mean, she never disappoints. So it's something where I go in and I expect her to be good, which I think is kind of I, fine because I will. I, she will be like I've never seen her not be good. But then you say, okay, let's like ratchet her up to the next level. And and, and when I have an actor of this love caliber of acting, I kind of always just want the director to be like let them go let them mm. go as big as they want because they can go big and they'll go crazy and i want to see that i want to yeah. see how far you can push that dinner scene after yeah exactly no. with peter when oh he's my. like tell me what you want to say mom after like charlie's been murdered you know mm -hmm. and it's like yeah she and, goes off. And, it's, and it's really like she doesn't she doesn't have many lines in that scene it's not like she's she has a bit of a monologue but it's not a huge amount of lines no but a it's lot the of range it, that she a has lot those of it two is, minutes sure within that you know you're getting a lot of her her mental processing of what she is going to say and that sickly mm. yellow lighting as well like they set that scene mm. so well like they're just you don't even i don't even remember if you i think you see the rest of the house but i feel like it's the kitchen table is so illuminated that it's like you're just seeing this little represent this little model in the middle of like an installation. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's, it's uh, Tony it isolates the table. Yeah. Really well, so Tony like, Collette feel like is... they're in the middle of an Island. Yeah. I think she, mm -hmm. I honestly think she was robbed of like an Academy award nomination for yeah. this. Movie. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Totally. Like, and Alex notoriously. Wolf. So, yeah, I think so. I agree. Because like, okay. <laughs> as an example, when, when, um, when Charlie's head gets knocked off, yeah. We don't actually have like the emotional payoff of that. We have like the shock and like the, oh, what do we do? And then we watch him drive home and we're like, oh my God. And we see him go to bed, but he's just sitting there and we're like, oh my God, if he's not going to do anything about it, that oh, means somebody's going to yeah. find it. And Tony Collette, it's basically on Tony Collette's shoulders to give us the emotional payoff of that scene with only yep. her voice. Mm. And my God, the screams oh, she the lets scream. out. Yeah. Her keening. I was going to say her vocal work. That was, yeah. I literally have so many notes about like that style of vocal work, that keening, all that stuff to like just wailing everything that she does. It's and then even the silent screams that she has sometimes too in this film mm. where no sound is coming out. And then all of a sudden later, oof. And I think that she just Brilliant. has this certain intensity with when, like, the because the, towards the end, I can't tell you, like, even now looking at a picture of her makes me feel uncomfortable. Because the <laughs> end of that movie, she is genuinely so horrifying. Yeah. Uh, and I think she just has a certain intensity 
that like the the point where she is soaring through her own neck and she's staring at him. Yo. Yeah. Oh my god. Like self-decapitation beautiful it is just like but like that truly the look in her eyes you know again just like the ability to convey like she has like pain in her eyes as well it's like you know what i mean like when she's been possessed like there's still like you there's still part of you like is is she still in there because like if she is that's kind of messed up like i kind of hope it's just not her she's like a spectator yeah that's what i mean she's just a spectator it's it's kind of a little bit like get out right where you're like a little Mm, bit inside the thing and you're like you have a little bit of awareness i think that's but yeah and the hands are moving so automatically as well like the the way it offsets her extreme emotion but only in the eyes she can't do much like her mouth is just held tight and the hands Mm. moving automatically Ugh. And then the sound effect, like it's Ugh. just a little wet, and it's just like uh, oh, no. a little wet, dude. It's sopping. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> that sound effect is sopping. <laughs> the other one that gets me is when she's banging. Well, the two. Oh, the banging of the head. The yeah. banging of the head was was like the sound of it and how fast yeah. it is. Um, that really gets me. Uh, Jeremy, uh, please uh, uh, tell everyone how how well I dealt with her uh, floating on the ceiling. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> From the moment Jasper saw the outline of of Annie on the ceiling in in Peter's room, he was done. From that point to the to the point that Peter goes out the window, like, I screamed was... no the whole time, <laughs> like the whole time I screamed the word no. I just loved it when she floated in the treehouse, and I was like, "This is where it ends." Yeah, beautiful, yeah. That was... beautiful. I was like, "Okay, she's gonna fly in there." Okay, okay, but then seeing after seeing the motif in um the the miniature setup in Annie, not Annie, um, Anne Dowd, <laughs> Joni's place of what it was going to be at the end. And I was like, oh, that's what it's going to look like at the end. I can't wait to see how they accomplish this. And I was like, well, it's more than I could have even dreamed of. Well, Thank you so it. much, Bill. You did it. Yeah. You did it. You gave me my little pre, pre, uh, pre-notion. Mm-hmm. You showed me what it was going to be. I saw it. And wow. And wow. I, think, so, I think one thing that I love from a filmmaking perspective in this movie is that what uh, I think with horror movies and especially with, um, you know, the way that, we have gotten used to horror movies or used to certain tropes. And like, I think a lot of cinema nowadays does like struggles with this or like tries to battle with this. Like, I feel like it genuinely is quite hard to get to a point where every single step you ratchet up the tension, you ratchet up the horror. Like, and I, cause I remember getting to a point and being like, it can't get any worse than this. It truly cannot get worse than this. And I don't even know if it was like that it, like it obviously it was like i don't think anything goes harder than her soaring through her own neck but even stuff after that felt somehow more horrific because of how well crafted like every single moment was like and like him like jumping out of the window and landing and then just seeing all the people in the in the forest and the way that like i it just it truly made me like much like you julia i just felt so so deeply uncomfortable and it made me feel more uncomfortable and more uncomfortable. And I think that's a, like something that is a really, a really, a, a huge achievement, I think, when like we're so used to film. Like I kind of imagine, like, yeah, I, I just feel like it'd have been so easy for that not to pay off in the way that it did. Yeah. Um, and then the end with both sides now, a yeah, cover I know, right? of the Joni Mitchell hit. <laughs> 
Honestly, so I rewound this like four times because I was just like, I have to watch that that transition again because that was probably my favorite thing. It, was it reminds like, me oh. of it reminds me of Evil End of Evil Dead, where it's like there's like crazy, crazy screaming, and then it's just like crazy little like ragtime music. And you're like, wait, what? music just gonna take this left turn. So we like to talk about. Uh, we always ask our guests a question about you know our our show is about survival. Mm. So. How do you survive this movie, especially if you're in this movie, especially knowing as we do that they're kind of on a predetermined path? Can you break out of that? Um, I think you join the cult. Yeah, I think you join the cult. You can't beat them in this case. You got to join them. I think you need to have already joined them. (laughs) That's the the way to survive. Yeah, you need to have been invited. And I don't think the way they got invited was not the way you want to get invited. (laughs) (laughs) A bunch of naked people just appear smiling over you in your room and are like, come with us. I wonder why uh, the Lee never asked Anne to be in it. Why was she she not invited? She had to be part of the sacrifice. Mm. Uh, I think she needed to. I think that's part of it. Yeah. Cause I think she was part of the, what weakened, uh, what weakened him. Right. To like get him to a point where he was so he was vulnerable enough for payment to enter him. The mother uh, had to be used, and then it was similar because yeah. it was similar to the story that when she talked about what happened to her mom at the like her grief group. Yeah, and mm. she was like, "Well, this is what happened to my my brother. This is what happened to my dad. This is what happened like her all her family had these horrible tragic deaths all around yeah. her mom, mm-hmm. and her mom knew that like not all of them could survive, and okay. she knew payment needed a man, and so she knew that her daughter could be a conduit, which is why she really wanted Charlie to be a boy, yeah. you know." Okay. As well, yeah. and I, and so I think she already like, had it laid out. It was already laid out. Like she was born for a purpose, and her purpose was not to be part of the cult. It was to be used by the cult. Yeah, yeah. and I think that the, you, when you look at the hurt that she caused to him, like at that dinner scene, for instance, like the pain that she was able to inflict, like that, like they needed her to be the grief-stricken mother who would, you know, make it could it would increase drive him out. Thing. Yeah, like mm-hmm. drive him to that drive him to that point expel him Mm -hmm. quite quite honestly the the because i was i was actually genuinely thinking like how would you get out like if you were in his position and i was like i mean like yeah i i i I honestly can't think that there is any way short of trying to find some sort of I don't even think an automatic rifle would have would have saved you in this instance. Well, no. so, I mean, is it is it something as basic as could Peter have gotten into a car, driven away, and never come back? Come back? No. Okay, that doesn't work. There were signs of payment on the like lampposts and stuff, like Jeremy pointed so, out, yeah. like, everywhere. I reckon you get to one of those things and it just like your car shuts down. You yeah. know what I mean? And they're there. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. They're all, although the policeman comes and arrests you and he's got like the sign of payment on his forehead or something. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> <That's> so <laughs> bad. Like yep. it's it would be yeah, like the 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 the, the chief of police is in on it or something. Yeah. Okay. They set so, it up as the hopeless loop. So it's, it's like Rosemary's baby. There, there is no way witches. out. She goes yeah. to the doctor and even he is like subject to her de- her husband and whatnot. Uh, by the way, I think also another it uh, kind of ties in with like the the theme of the movie. Uh, the the idea of be, having like being unable to escape, I think ties in with the whole idea of the title hereditary like as if this trauma then suffering that the family has suffered Mm. uh, and has been inflicted upon them uh by family members is hereditary and is passed down and is something that they can't escape like try Mm -hmm. as they might the mother was already traumatized by her mother uh and the rest of what happened to her family and now it is being visited upon the children 
uh, and there's yeah. nothing any of them can do to avoid this transfer. I would maybe. say, uh, I would say, bleak, bleak. This movie is bleak. Mm. <laughs> Yay, bleak. Maybe, Let's maybe, do some. Maybe. Maybe burn yeah. the house down. Sorry, that was just you a, the, yeah. Uh, but you like, couldn't remember because you tried mm. to burn the house and it just burns you. Cool, cool, cool. Oh yeah, so they burn the yeah. diary. You oh, can't usually, that's so, yeah, that's so Usually rough. we say fire, and that that's like one of the things so that's definitely rough. one of like our like normal like go tos. We're like, okay, if you can't chop its head off, you like set it on fire. In this case, you try to set it on fire, it sets you on fire. Mm. So there is no loop. It's it's like there is no way. I mean, daddy, daddy got charred. Let's do. Um, Daddy got we do, charred. We do some ratings here. I think we're good. That's, <laughs> now my, that new, that's, my, my, that's my new club hit. Daddy got charred. <laughs> Daddy, Daddy got, got charred. No, no. Daddy got charred. No, no. Extra crispy as well. Like international that. extra crispy. Mm. International hit. Um, we have we do movie ratings. We do some gore factor. Then we do overall ratings. So we have a couple different metrics we we've done here at horror movies. So have a guide. So we're gonna go through. Um, do you want to gore, Julia? Yeah, help us help us rate this movie. So okay. for gore factor, we have one, not enough blood to fill a Dixie cup. Two, a puddle of blood. Three is enough blood to gross out the average viewer. Four is a bathtub of blood. And five is run for the barf bag. Uh, I think this is a full five. Run for the barf bag, yeah? Mm. Well, just from deca- multiple decapitations in one multiple. film, mm. I think it gets, gets it. I think it gets it there. What do you guys think? Full five? I full lean five. towards a four, but I, I'm, really? not a, I'm not opposed to a five. What what is a five in your opinion then in your head? Like what movie would constitute a five? Mm. House of Thousand Corpses. Yeah, I think once you get into like torture movies where it's like just nonstop relentless or like have you seen have you seen oh what is it? Bone Tomahawk? That's no. a five. Like okay, if you've ever seen Bo- Bone Tomahawk is a is a Western horror movie starring uh Kurt Russell. Uh okay. and for the first like thirty minutes, it's not really a horror movie at all. But don't tell us! Don't tell us! It, don't tell us! We have, wait, spoiler for you. Well, yeah, no. I won't say anything. It just once it becomes a horror movie, it's it has some of the most shocking sequences I've ever seen uh, in a horror I think, movie. I, think, I would say I that's a five. No, I think the the thing that makes it a five for me is like when they cut back to Charlie's severed head, all fucking covered in ants. Yeah, and like mm. like like that's that's and there's just like the dead. There's I don't uh, know. The, Someone being fully conscious, eyes open, soaring off their own head. It's pretty bad. With a piano string is is pretty awful. Okay. Well, I... I I can live with a five. All right. Well, I'd say it's five. Uh, Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm campaigning for a five. (laughs) I'm also on the five train. Okay. So Um, so that's the one we have to come to a consensus on. I I agree. So you've gotten outvoted, Jeremy. I'm so sorry. But I think it's a full five. (laughs) Fans out there, you can let us know in the comments. Like, subscribe, whatever. No. Um, Let us know (laughs) what you all think. Um, And then we have movie ratings. We have chainsaws that we measure those by. Zero to five chainsaws. One, if you're desperate. Two, barely qualifies as a horror film. Three, seen worse, seen better. Four, not too shabby. And five, fantastical. I'm already going to say this is a full five for me. And you guys can let me know what y'all think. I go five. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm going to give it a five. I think it's uh, absolutely masterfully done. I also will give it a five. Which means <gasps> it's an all around, all around five. five. Oh. Ding, 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 so, ding, but this ding, is interesting, right? Because I'm giving a five to a movie that I don't ever want to watch again. Right? <laughs> I'm absolutely with you, Julia. I'm absolutely with you. I, I Jeremy, I'm... we can watch this anytime you want. Yeah. I'm so down to watch this ten more times. <laughs> uh, I'm Let's coming over it. to LA. We could just marathon it. 
Oh my oh God, my I God. so would. Watch... Honestly, we do that. Anything for Jackson and Rosemary's baby. We do a And, and yes. add Mid- Midsummer in there. And like, just yes. go all And, mm. and oh the witch, God, I feel like the ending of this movie kind of mirrors the ending of The Witch in that, like, mm-hmm. the end, which is maybe a little bit more positive at the end, but the music, which I, I would be remiss if I did not throw out uh, a shout out to the score by Colin, uh, Colin Stetson, uh, who's, if you ever want to watch, like, the way that this movie feels, watch him play uh, his song, judges live uh because he's playing it all these sounds on just a saxophone it looks like he's experiencing this movie on his face uh with how intensely pained he looks but like oh my god there's a sense of triumph at the end that i think is similar to the end of the witch with the music and the score and everybody's like yay and the audience is like oh my god what except for poor yeah except for poor peter Peter. oh beautiful peter all right, kids, thank you so much for joining us. Jasper, Jeremy, you guys are a delight as always. I just love chatting with you. Um, can you let the people know where to find you on the internet, please? Yeah, uh, sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having us on. It feels, uh, it's a, it was an amazing privilege, and I'm very, very happy to have been here, uh, even if watching of this movie was absolutely horrific. And I had Jeremy <laughs> Jeremy doing a very good impression of the smiley man at me the whole way through this movie, because oh, no. he knew that there was a bad bit coming up, and he, he would look over on at though, me. Right? Uh, <laughs> no, he did start to undress at one point, and I was like, my dude. I was fully nude from the get-go. Yeah, oh. I just didn't smiling. realize um, because I was being possessed by payment at the time. So, um, <laughs> but uh, no. So, thank you so much for having us on. Uh, yeah, if you uh, uh, want to see more of uh, me and my stuff, uh, you can find me on uh, like Twitter at uh, jw underscore cartwright. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm a co-host uh, over at Three Black Halflings, and you can follow uh, that at the number three. Uh, black halflings and we uh, do uh, as Ter- in fact Terry probably did a better plug at the beginning of the show for the show we need to, reco- we, need to do. we need to like clip Terry's that. Yeah, yeah Terry's plug yeah. and just use Play that, that for future for plugs you're well, uh, should. yeah because yeah, her voice is honey <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely and then uh, but yes we've got some uh, really exciting actual play stuff coming up and uh, so if you like listening to the to the Dungeons of Dragons and stuff uh, then uh, it will be it's a good time to hop on over and see what we're about. Uh, and I, uh, yes, I am Jeremy Cobb. Hi, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Jeremy Cobb one. That's Cobb with two B's and the number one. Uh, and I think the best way to find uh, me is also with three black halfling stuff uh, outside of uh, Twitter. So yeah, go, go follow three black halflings at all the places Jasper said. It was such yeah. a delight to meet you both. Thank you so much for coming yeah. on. Thank you for, but thank you for letting, making me watch Hereditary again, honestly, and look at it in a more critical eye and see what, mm. you know, it, and I knew from the first how great of a film it is. And now I would just cement it. It's fantastic. It's beautiful. It makes me feel very comfortable. Well done, Ari Aster. You can find yes. us online at uh, on our Twitter, on our Facebook, on our Instagram. We also have a Patreon if you'd like to just subscribe and support these artists like us. Uh, we also have a Teespring if you feel like buying some merch. You can do that as well. Uh, we love to hear from our listeners. Tell us what you thought about Hereditary because I know that people have very strong opinions about this film. So oh, what yeah. did you think? Oh, yeah. Thanks, y'all, for listening. We'll see you all again real soon for more delicious goodness at Horror Movie Survivor Guide. Um, Hail Payman. Okay, bye. Hail Payman. Thanks, Disco Citizens. Bye. Thank you for listening. Horror Movie Survival Guide is independently produced by Terry Gamble, Julia Marchesi, and Sierra Ryan. Hey, that's me. 
If you would like to support the show, find us on patreon.com slash horror movie survival guide.